0: Hey, 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 everybody. How are you all guys doing? Welcome to the Wimper Podcast, where we talk about all the goofy stuff related to space, astronomy, deep tech, AI, and a lot more to learn about, which you won't find much in a conventional form of education. Yeah, uh, so uh, Mark's book is not available in in cover or paperback. Hard a hardcore, so you can buy it, uh, in the kind of format through Amazon. I'll share all the links that you can refer to. Math has also shared this website with me, Aries Learning. So like, could you just introduce this website to the audience? What is it about? Like is it an introduction of yourself or is it something else?
1: Uh, I, the link I sent you is, is like the team page. So it's got my bio on it. You can link to that, but Aries is the Academy for the relentless exploration of space. And that's our vision for a school based on all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also running all of the teacher professional involvement that I'm doing now uh, and consulting in mm-hmm. speech education through uh, through Aries Learning. But uh, the vision for the school was based on a lot of the stuff we've been talking about in terms of uh, work I, I pulled together visiting other uh, mm-hmm. innovative schools around the world and then the framework for teaching the skill sets and mindsets that kids need to be successful in the future. So sure. we learned during the pandemic, you don't need to uh, sit in rows for six hours a day to assimilate information, right? We can yeah. compress, uh, for kids that have the right tech and the right support, you can compress the core curriculum down to 90 minutes, maybe two hours in the morning. And that gives us time for what we call the Launchpad experience, which is exposure to a lot of other disciplines, sure. everything from sure. uh, you know, sure. astronomy to philosophy and, right. and giving kids, multidisciplinary experience, in which case we can then bring them into what we call the Moonshot Lab, and we ask them, what problem do you want to solve, give them right. all the resources of the school at their disposal. And it's amazing. We've run this. We had some funding in Hawaii a couple of years back to run a Moonshot Lab there, uh, we've run it in a, a number of other contexts with other schools. So the idea of baking this into a school itself and seeing what kids create, because they already, especially in the Hawaii project, they launched businesses they launched nonprofits. they put environmental sensors in the water that are still there they um they created a planetarium they uh they created a, you know apps uh mobile apps so it's pretty spectacular what kids are able to do when you ask them what problem they want to solve you tap into their their passion so naturally we're building the out lab into our space mm. school uh, and the sort of economic engine of the school is then you build a student accelerator on top of that so that students have support in monetizing their best ideas and bringing them to market. Uh, and perhaps those, uh, those may even lead to additional space startups. If you care. So if that was the vision and Aries, uh, right now it's sort of the brand also for the, the teacher, professional development. Method. Great. Um, so, um, I've
0: linked down everything that one can refer to, uh, I've copied all the links. So yeah, we will not need to worry about that. Uh, so, since the advent of AI has, you know, dawned upon us for the past four or five to six months, the world is in turmoil. Even the people who are not knowing anything about the word AI now know that something known as Chat GPT exists and it is stable over the world by short. Uh, so how have you, or if you have introduced AI into how space education will be reformed by AI, how have you introduced that into the world?
1: You know, it, you know, it's interesting. Um, so the, the book was already written before everything you're, you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but I've been in EdTech for over 20 years. And in that context, this is the biggest thing to happen since, say, blogs. <laughs> uh, in terms of opening up new opportunities for people. Uh, but it is, in my world, it is nowhere near as big a deal as everybody's making it. AI is just a tool but it's a rare cool of why you don't want kids uh, memorizing and regurgitating information and you don't want kids learning uh, medial skills necessarily, they certainly are going to need some to get by, um, but it's extraordinarily important to be sure that they've got the information literacy that they need to make sense of a world where AI can sort of fake anything, right? And it's okay. extraordinarily important for them to know how to use AI as a tool and it doesn't change any of what I, I shared with you so far in this call, right? Like it doesn't change the need for courageous leadership and empowered teachers and student agency. And it doesn't change the need for kids to develop an explorer's mindset and moonshot thinking and design thinking is still said like AI becomes just one other tool in their toolkit if they've got those mindsets, right? If they're if if they're reflecting on, on their work and they're able to synthesize things across disciplines that AI is just one more thing that they can use. Um, you know, some of the AI art is is really impressive and and really helpful, but you got to know when to toss it aside because it's not that great. And certainly the same, you know, speaking as a writer, same is true for for AI writing. Um, it's not actually that useful in my job. Uh, there's been a couple of times where I'm like, oh, how would you teach this concept? And, and chat uh, GPT or something like it will bring back, or Google Bart or something will bring back right. some great ideas. Um, right. Right. That and I'm like, oh, that's, that's kind of spot on. That's, there's some good lesson ideas there. But you, boy, you still got to take it like the next, the, the last mile, so to speak, and finish it. And you better know what you're talking about if you're going to turn around and, right. and use it with other people, for instance. Right. Um, so I have taught information literacy and I've taught search skills to educators and students for years. And um, most people don't search very well on the internet. They're not very good at it. They don't, either, yeah, they don't, they don't know. How yeah. There's a
0: lot of people think, think
1: that true, yeah. like, you're just yeah, going to yeah. get yourself in trouble if you're, if you're using AI and count on it and you don't know how to think about it critically and mm-hmm. don't know how to check your sources and, and don't know how to evaluate the source for, mm-hmm. um, authority and accuracy mm-hmm. and bias and mm-hmm. Um, those those things are all extraordinarily important uh, in AI, um, mm-hmm. and I think there will be ways. We're seeing this with the 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 writers strike in in uh, Hollywood right now. Like there will be ways in which, uh, you know there there will be interesting ethical decisions around the importance of things being created by humans. Um, mm-hmm. I think in a in a similar way to like hey the art that your kid does. Well, like something amazing that your pet does is is valuable because they did it uh, i think we're going to see more and more of that in um all sorts of industries where it'll be valuable because a human did it it's like paying to go see live music like oh you already have the perfect recording but people pay to go see live music because it's important to see humans do it right and do it live uh, and i think people are gonna for instance want to buy a book that they know a human wrote. Uh, about well, something shoot, they care hear about. Uh, and the sense that, like, oh, I could do that, too, I think would become more, and more important. That said, you know, uh, it makes menial work, menial skills, menial knowledge even less important if you can just ask the AI. I
0: mean, do you consider, like, in the way uh for example, how machinery in the industrial is? Uh, like, for example, how we used to use hand looms and uh, uh, really all the age, vintage machines that were basically so much more manual uh, that uh, it used to take a lot of time for a human to make any form of clothes, any form of, uh, you know, texture or whatever. And hence, it used to cost a lot after the industrial age, after the industrial revolution, everything was just like dirt cheap relative to that. And well, what happened was basically, you know, um, handmade stuff became sort
1: of premium in a way. Yes. Right. Yep. So, is that what
0: you're saying is going to happen, or
1: like, is yeah, it yeah, no, I perfect. think the old, And I think in some some fields that'll be more important than others. Some some fields that'll just be pretty, important. yeah. Um, some fields that'll be it'll be really really important. Um, but I, I think it's a good analogy. And in ed, education technology, it's funny to look back at uh, sort of education journalism, if you will, from a hundred years ago, because, really? um, you know. One of the things that struck me early in my career was uh, an Ed Tech professor shared an article about um, ballpoint pens. You know, and teachers were all upset because they thought students were going to be lazy if they had ballpoint pens and they wouldn't be able to use uh, uh, a pen and ink well. Uh, and, you know, and they and they wouldn't know how to uh, you know write like that. And it it's the almost exact. You know, arguing argument that teachers had 20, 30 years ago and, and, and over my career around technology. I'm like, oh, kids will be lazy. They won't know how to do cursive or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, they're not they're not gonna know anything because they're just gonna use a calculator. They're just gonna use Google. Uh, but, and it's similar now too. They're like, oh, kids can't write essays. Yeah, don't they're not gonna know how to write essays anymore. Nah. It's like, no, they're gonna have their cheap textiles. Like, it's gonna be better. Like, we're not gonna waste time on stuff that shouldn't be waste time on. Um, but that said, like, that it's, it's much more credible. For people to actually, um, you know, have the background knowledge to judge things on their own, and to have the the mental kind of skills to judge things on their own and to make sense of them on their own, and you and, and put them to meaningful use, and that's that's not easy. Um, it's not going to be easy to just use AI to do your job. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the 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 meme that's been going around this year that I think is really on the nose is you you're not going to lose your job to AI. You're going to lose your job to somebody who knows how to use mm-hmm. yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yeah.
0: Um, so, um, well, that question came into my mind of little that be to come back. So, um, well, we all have seen, heard, and discussed of how space exploration and the future of the space race will be able to change the mass effects like climate change, energy, but uh, like I would really love to know how you discuss healthcare because I'm not a biology person particularly and I will certainly not be studying medicine uh, in college. So, um and hence so I would love to know more about how medicine and biology is going to be uh, I a thing of spaces.
1: Yeah, it's definitely not my expertise, but but I've, I've been exposed to it a little bit. Yeah. Um, the, the biotech um, mm. community field, whatever industry, is very, very excited about having access to space and being able to get more uh, experiments up and more people up. Uh, already, we've been able to show things like we can, we can grow um, certain crystals better in microgravity. We can grow heart tissue better in microgravity. Um, there's already been experiments. In fact, there's one of the books I wanted to recommend this uh, next 500 years by Christopher Mason um, who looks at uh, microbiology and genetics in particular. And it's spectacular what we're already experimenting with um, in order to help people survive in space that might be useful here on Earth. Um, one, one mind-blowing example is we've, we've already immigrated tardigrade DNA into humans. Yeah, I... I and Take advantage yeah. of their their radiation protection and, and how many cancers could that protect us from, right? We're more. Uh, so I think there's a lot of stuff that will will wind up being uh,
0: spin off. Well, the beneficial. potential, the potential in the medicine field is obviously a lot. Like we've all got the cure of the cancer, Alzheimer's, like these big big diseases that like that are basic, basically basically nightmares too. Uh, med- medicine medicine people and biologists all the time uh but yeah uh, if somebody comes up with that then obviously there's a ton, ton of potential to that um yeah. also uh talking about more specific side of space uh um you know we have this uh, sort of how uh, you can say thing that you basically can't soul right um if an astronaut goes into space the effect of time dilation is basically uh different uh than someone who's standing in our earth and because in that everybody gets older whereas uh time passes relatively slow. Uh it's definitely a bit more distinguishable in the interstellar space, but like even when they are outside of earth, uh uh if it's not even talking about how, relativ- well, how relativity works, but th- it hasn't a sort of Effect on uh, the astronauts' what astronauts' health and body in terms of if they're being directly exposed to things like radiation and the sun's rays without having an ozone to protect them. So how are we? Yeah, yeah. So how are we like sort of uh, pondering upon that, or is your book introducing
1: anything like that? Uh, Well, one of the things that the book does is an interesting thought experiment is the second part of it looks at um, how might we educate kids when we get there. So on the moon or on Mars uh, or on um, deep space habitats, like O'Neill style habitats. And there's a a lot of uh, sort of unanticipated consequences when you start thinking it through. Uh, low, even on the moon or Mars, low, let's just start with Mars. Even even on Mars, the low gravity is an issue. Like that that will will certainly have health consequences, even even on the planet, because uh, it's so much less than here on Earth. The the atmosphere is going to be a challenge. Radiation is going to be a significant challenge. Uh, people, you know, describe these you know sort of glass dome uh, habitats and uh, uh, you know um, greenhouses, and that's well, unless they have a solution for it, that's that's probably not realistic because you're going to get cooked by the by the radiation because Mars doesn't have anywhere near the protection that we have here. Um, and obviously, it's it's fatal to go outside. So that that has a lot of potential consequences for um, for settlers and for the first schools. Okay. One of the others that that's uh, really interesting, particularly with respect to Mars, is you start thinking about. Uh, you, you know, speaking of relativity, the, the sort of upper speed limit of, uh, signals across the solar system, yeah. Mars could be up to 46 minutes round trip delay, uh, in a signal back to earth. Yeah. And you think, yeah. you know, like, That's think of the first small settlement on Mars where there's actually multiple generations. There's kids and they're going to have to have a, maybe one room school, uh, multiple grade levels. And, and they're going to be teaching all the stuff I talked about. Whatever you know, people's first thought is, um, well, we can just do it like the pandemic. It'll be emergency distance learning. They can do online learning. It's like, well, mm-hmm. they can't do Zoom with any expert on earth because mm-hmm. the time delay yeah. would be so long. Uh, and you said uh,
0: they, they Yeah, moving yeah, on to me. Okay.
1: Because there's a, a, a forty six minute delay. You you, you <laughs> put in a search. you gotta wait forty six minutes to get your ten results back, right? So you you gotta think through the, the the local resources that would be necessary to make a settlement like that really, really work. So doesn't bring up doesn't bring up the question that we should
0: maybe also think about how we could build something that is not directly independent like dependent on what is happening on us. Obviously communication and all that, you know, trying to reach out, trying to get updated on what's happening on Mars, if the civil if particular set of people are there. We need to know about them here on Earth. That is a different set of problems. But um, you, what about we trying to maybe get a different um, set of working systems, you know, uh, maybe the ind- the internet working there is independent to that of Earth. The communication methods are different or in- independent to that of Earth uh, in any way or form. And I would like to, are we thinking
1: about that in any other form? Yeah, well, I, I have one anecdote that I think is a great place to start. In 2006, at the very first Google Teacher Academy, I was at the Google campus in Mountain View, California, damn, damn and um, we had a bunch of teachers on campus, and it was, it was a great experience for them to sort of, um, you know, be immersed in the Google culture and learn technology while they were there. But we had lunch, and this guy named Vit Cerf drops by. And in and, and Google, it's unusual to see somebody in a three-piece suit walk in and somebody his age. Mm-hmm. But he happened to be the guy responsible for uh, creating TCP IP back in the 70s. And uh, he joked with us, this is in 2006, he was joking with us, like, yeah, it's my fault we're running out of IP addresses. There was a meeting I had in <laughs> 1972 where I just said, it's going to be this many uh, digits, and that's it. Um, but... He and this is 2006 again. He started telling us about how TCPIP really can't handle the communication delay to someplace like Mars uh, when it comes to packet dropping and so forth. And so, even at the time, they had they were working on and have mostly worked out a, uh, an interplanetary internet protocol that couldn't mm-hmm. handle those things. And they've run that on essentially all of our Mars rovers and similar vehicles uh, for decades now. So, mm-hmm. there's already an interplanetary internet of some uh, to some degree. Now, sadly, it's mostly running through the the deep space network we were just looking at, which is really limited in bandwidth. So one of the things that as as the book looked into that and we talked about how we're gonna educate kids on on Mars is boy, we're gonna have to do something about bandwidth locally on Mars, but also between Mars and Europe. Because the idea of replicating uh all of the internet on Mars is that's a that's a pretty it's probably not going to be realistic for the first settlers and they're going to need access to that education. So some of it you can cache locally and so forth, but you know, people talk about using VR on other planets, particularly like, Oh, we can still teach kids with virtual reality. It's like, well, not if the headset has to talk to meta servers in California, right? Uh, you're going to need this, you know, phenomenal level, you know, I think a surprising level of infrastructure. Um, for those things to be self sufficient when you go. And so in the book I break down like what is the bandwidth of ours right now and what what is the compute we have there? What are we gonna actually need if we wanna sustain a small settlement and a and a stool? Uh, so thinking out of the box
0: thing different and all of these are the fancy phrases sound very catchy to the human ears, but not as much as to those who face the challenges to tease kids on how to prepare students for the future of space, race and exploration, because it's a full of experience, right? It's not like we are building a product particularly. If you're crazy. So I've done an episode in the past, as I told you on how astronomy and space science should be taught to students. And the final mm-hmm. conclusion we got was that uh, we, that I mean basically the guest said that we can't teach anything to anyone. They have to, help them to find it within themselves is what he concluded with and well how much do you support that idea as a space educator or do you have any other yeah i mean i think we, we have opinions
1: to mention we have better schools now than we've ever had in the past so i'm not one of these people that's that's bashing our education system uh that said it could be a lot better and you don't need kids in rows listening to a teacher well the- Um, the
0: difference between the United States and the Indian education system is like
1: (laughs) what can you say? (laughs) I I would bet in most schools you still got kids sitting in rows listening to teachers even if it's you know uh, a a much lower tech situation but yes there's a ton of cultural differences between the the school systems even if you get into the international schools there Uh, but you know you also um, I mean Sagan Mitra, in his uh, if you haven't looked him up look up his, his computer in the wall experiments. Mm-hmm. Um I think it started in India, and then he, he recreated them in Mexico uh and, and his methods have been put into use everywhere. But the idea is they put a computer hole right in the wall in a village um and provided no instruction. And oh. kids not only learned how to use the computer, they learned English <laughs> and they learned how to get online and they learned uh you know and then they learned all kinds of books. Uh, and they, they were able to recreate that with a, with similar experiments in Mexico. And the idea being, and this is where we talk about student agency, if you give the kids control over their own learning, obviously there's some uh, sort of behavior management issues that might, might come into play. Uh, and you gotta be reasonable about that. And there's some sort of skills kids are gonna have, probably have to drill and that we're gonna want them to drill to have. But largely, I think our school systems globally could allow for a great deal more uh, student agency and autonomy and control over their learning, um, you know, in part so that they can pursue their strengths and passions. Um, but that's that's how we get people thinking outside the box and innovating uh, and, and and you know, what, doing really powerful things like what we've seen kids do in the moonshot. That said, you do have to balance it, and this is why we have the, the Launchpad experience. You do have to balance that with, exposure to things that the kids might not choose themselves and might not um have any idea about. So you do have you have to have some sort of multidisciplinary exposure built into your your school system. Um but then you you sort of wait for the kids to make their connections and see see what what holes they want to go down. Um
0: okay
1: so this is kind of a personal question, not, not in the script.
0: Um so I have not a lot of love. I've a lot of general audience that is basically students. And they, most of them, you know, they want to pursue their higher education in the United States. And yep. I would say most of them are into the space sector and they're interested in the aerospace, uh, astronomy and all that, so um, if you could, you know, suggest a, um, how should they conduct their research on what would be the best college for them? uh for how they would like to pursue that uh, their specific field in the space industry. And, like, if you have a particular list that you think now has been developed because colleges iterate over time and, up, and improve themselves on dep- depending on where it is. So, like, what are some of the best colleges for the same if you could just, you know, guide the s- students who might be listening
1: to you? Oh, man, I mean, some of that I'm sure you could find... Mm. more exhaustive detailed lists uh, on Google, but if you're if you're looking for, or, you know, I did, I did aerospace or astronautical engineering, specifically Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, there's a number of schools in the U.S. that have good aerospace engineering programs, if that's what you're interested in. Um, uh, Embry-Riddle in Florida is, is largely uh, aerospace-focused mm. level school. Um, I know Colorado School of Mines has lots of uh, space-focused programs. Oh, there's there's some great new graduate programs well, ISU for sure but they're based out of Paris um, Thunderbird uh, at Arizona State University has a great new uh, MBA focused on space yeah. um, There's a few other programs like that but I, I think the best advice I've heard that's related to this is the idea of you know looking beyond. The school and the program and the reputation of the school, although those things are important, but look at who you want to work with. Find out who the faculty is there, right, uh, and what they're researching or what they're writing about, and and find who you want to work with. And you can start yeah. building those connections and building those relationships before you even apply it to the school. Um, it's it's spectacular what what kids are able to do if they just start reaching out to adults to make connections. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, I, I've, I've interacted with high school kids in India who reached out and really built a network for themselves of people in the space industry because they're, they're passionate about it and they, they find your Twitter account and they accept, <laughs> find your email and they, and they, yeah. you know, connect yeah. on LinkedIn. Um, those, I think those sort of professional networking tools can be yeah. really powerful uh, for a student, mm-hmm. even if during that sort of college selection phase, university selection phase um, to reach out and make connections with the actual people. Um, Otherwise, you're going in really blind, you know, because that's who the professors are and who's going to be there. Really, really important.
0: Right. Um, I'm in high school, so yeah, I reach out in a way. So, okay. Yeah? Yeah. Um, So, okay. We're almost halfway through. So, what are some of the practical ways, uh, after all, that we could approach space education for all? Awareness, soft power, or hard emphasis? Slender, rapid- Say it again, I'm 100% sure um, Okay, should I repeat the question? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what are some of the practical ways, after all, that we could approach for space education for all? Um, awareness, so basically
1: soft power or do you think hard emphasis? Yeah, I, I, seriously, did, I seriously, um, I, I kind of, I've been asking myself this question a lot lately. Um, I just wrote a post yesterday. I, I was at Kennedy space center last week on, and had a ton of amazing experiences there because I, I chose to go there and I had the resources to go there. You know, and it's like, well, some people are never going to choose to go there and they're not going to have the resources to go there. So how do you bring that experience to other people? Um, one way I like to do that is, uh, leveraging teacher professional development. If you can train some teachers who choose to go there, have the, with the resources to take it out of my class or whatever, then they can go share that with lots of students, but, but beyond that, how, you know, how can you do that at scale for a relatively low cost? Um, I think there's, there's a couple of resources I can share. One is with space prize last year, we were focused on empowering young women and we had these spectacular contests where they could win zero G parabolic flights. Right. Wow. But the question is, what do we do for the girls that don't win? And the answer real quick was, well, they need to have some sort of meaningful educational experience. And so we ended up developing a whole curriculum and then we realized, oh, we don't need to just give this to girls. Like let's make this an open education resource that anybody can use anywhere. So. Uh, one of the links I sent you is for uh, the Space Prize curriculum, uh, which, we 12, which is hosted on CK12, which is a global open education resource uh, with a full kindergarten to twelfth grade curriculum. So, when you if you follow the link or if you go to CK12, you can find the the space education course, and that covers uh, you know not just an intro to space science and the history of space exploration. It also covers why space is important to people on earth and that you know it's got sections on on biotech and that kind of thing uh Mm -hmm. it covers what's happening in commercial space and international Mm -hmm. space today it's Mm -hmm. covering um space Mm -hmm. philosophy issues so issues of ethics and governance and sustainability um Mm -hmm. so that that sort of thing like open education resources like the space price curriculum can be useful i also shared with you i think it was the last link i shared a um spreadsheet of just other space education resources yeah. available online. So sure. you, know, you can find great material from NASA, mm-hmm. from JPL and from um, the the Space Force. U.S. Space Force has a great uh, curriculum called Stellar Explorers. And you can find um, mm-hmm. uh, material from the ISS National Lab. Uh, they mm-hmm. have a space station explorers program. So there's a ton of uh, really great, freely available online curriculum that's you know, from a teacher's perspective, they can at least put it in front of kids. And if if you're a student with interest, you can go look at all this stuff yourself, and you can go you know deep down the rabbit hole. And then, by the way, you can reach out to the people involved and <laughs> build those build those connections and build your learning net, Right? And your knowledge. Um, I I do think though, teachers do need to raise awareness. They do need to put it in front of kids and help kids realize it's you know. It's not just uh, for boys. It's not just for science and math kids. You know, this is for everybody. I I worked with uh, one of the young women who won our contest in New York City was a self-professed, like, history and English nerd, right? And she, through the process of our contest, was whipped up with a mentor who was a uh, a writer, uh, mostly in PR, uh, for NASA, for Boeing, for a number of space startups over the years. And so this student was like, I didn't know there was a place for a writer in the space industry. Like, I, I want to do this now. Um, so I, the more we can create that kind of moment for students today, where they realize all those different jobs we were talking about earlier are already part of the space industry. Like, if they care about space at all, they, they can be involved. How, how how back are you talking about this? Like, this point is, is
0: like what you're talking about. How the woman that you were talking about, she wanted to become a space writer. How long yeah what's was yeah. how long ago
1: oh that the, this was uh, about a year ago
0: yeah um well uh, like have things changed after the
1: ChatGPT thing after the what sorry ChatGPT GPT thing I don't know um I well no, my short answer is no um no for because most of what it generates is pretty terrible um yeah It's cool if you like. I've seen really, really great uses. For instance, I work with a teacher who English is her second language, Mm -hmm. and she's like, Chad GPT is the greatest thing ever because now uh, I just outline my email and it writes one that's grammatically correct. Mm -hmm. But uh, another, so like, if you know what you want to say and you're using it as a tool, it could be really powerful. Um, I, I, but it's another great illustration is an ed tech, uh, uh, colleague of mine ran some tests with his students, right? And the kids used the AI for, uh, different parts of the writing process. So some kids used it to outline and then the kids wrote the essay, right? Some kids used it. They, they gave it an outline and, and it wrote the essay. Some kids, they gave it the whole essay and it just edited it and polished it. Right. Um, so. For those three different parts of the writing process, different groups of kids used it. Some kids used it all the way through. We're so Chad he did the outline and the writing and the polishing uh, for the final draft. And what they found was the worst results were the AI all the way through. Um, oh. the that best results. Yeah. Uh, the best results were the AI we at one step. <laughs> So if you know, you're like, hey, I've got an outline, go, mm-hmm. cool. that GPT wrote it, now I'm going to polish it, uh-huh. that's a pretty great use of the AI, uh-huh. like letting the AI do the job uh-huh. for you, you, you're probably not going to get very good results, particularly in a challenging professional situation. Uh-huh. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not, Uh. Uh. you know, an engineer or a software engineer, like, yes. Most of my job is writing, and Chad GPT is mostly useless. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, not,
0: Actually, let say it in the way I wanted to say it, you know. This, the thing is also, like, even the people who have built these air models, you know, the ones who are literally behind the table, even they, you know, they have sort of uh, testified that why it's, what it gives out is pretty crappy is because most of the things that it feeds on is basically on the internet. And what yeah, yeah. most basically you can say ninety nine percent of things that are written on the internet is crappy. So obviously it will be trained on crappy data and it brings out crappy That's data. So yeah. Yeah. Uh so basically it's a very dumb way to honest. It's a really dumb way. It's a really dumb way to, you know, train models actually. Is
1: what they have said. You. But yeah. 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 So yeah. I hadn't thought that through so much, but you're right. If someone's able to take much higher, you know, maybe a smaller data set, but much higher quality data. Yeah, obviously. To train their, their models. That might be- People can do that now. It's yeah. just
0: possible to train it on higher quality or your own data. Mm-hmm. Open source models are out there. So anyways, we are not talking about GPT. So um, I was also wanting to learn about how, you know, this new field, which is actually not even introduced in the best of colleges in India, actually. Uh, is coming out as a part of the aerospace and the space industry, in especially, spe- specifically, in structural engineering with materials, material sciences. So, um, I wanted to talk about that particular field because I was someone also who's interested in the structural design. And I mean, I own the because, but because of the uh, IRA and whatever, you know, they have these uh, laws that uh, are out of. State people cannot really uh, work work on that as much, particularly even they don't have the access to that, more research and all that. So basically, you can't do that. So I was thinking, uh, how while the, like, getting into material sciences, because actually it's a really interesting field, and I thought maybe I would like to go into that. So yeah, I um, would like to you know how material sciences, if you have an idea on that, is you know shaping the aerospace industrial field.
1: Wow, this is uh, obviously for years. Uh, aerospace has pushed material science, right? Whether it was lightweight aluminum or and, you know carbon carbon composites, that kind of thing. Um, and I'm sure we're not done. It's it's certainly not my area of expertise, but we're always going to need spacecraft to be lighter and stronger. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, and if if not more flexible, right? And you you talk about additive manufacturing, and I think having uh having materials that can be extruded and and used for um you know higher and higher quality tools and parts and and structures i think will be awesome if you look at um this maybe isn't necessarily materials engineering but a lot of the um kind of uh, additive manufacturing that's happening even structurally uh <laughs> in, in startups right now is really exciting Yeah, um, i think it was orbital assembly essentially, built a 3d printer that had like girders and panels and could build whole shipping containers that they could, uh, they opened to build, you know, spinable spinnable habitats out of, um, and then I'm blanking on the the name right now, but there is, there is a company that's been doing 3d printing. Uh, they, they put a printer on the ISS and ran some experiments there. Um, so I think that sort of thing will get kind of interesting in, in the idea to have more, more, Lighter, stronger, flexible materials that can be used mm-hmm. uh, for additive manufacturing would be important. But the other, the other part about materials that I think would be important in space is what can you create with the in situ resources. So if you're able to use lunar regolith or um, you know a particular asteroid or other body, like uh, mm-hmm. what can you do with the materials you find there? So mm-hmm. how do you yeah. um, mm-hmm. separate them, refine them? uh recombine them into something interesting like a like a material you of you know manufacturing with um that that gets that gets pretty interesting in fact there's um a couple of other books i would recommend on the non-fiction front um martin elvis's asteroids is a is a, a, a mind bender to so realize like really what what's the value of mining the asteroids in our solar system because it's it's uh mind-boggling uh, amounts of value sitting out there there's asteroids that are you know trillion dollar asteroids or, or they say <laughs> they're just, worth more than the entire uh global gdp which i'm sure it wouldn't work out that way because values would change but uh the idea being if you can go use these sort of in-situ resources and create interesting useful materials out of it i think that gets pretty exciting <laughs> um the on a fictional and i would highly rec- recommend uh daniel suarez's uh delta v uh, is a near future uh, science fiction book about mm-hmm. asteroid mining and they have a lot in there about sort of refining the materials that they find and what they're able to make out of them um including mm-hmm. you know high grade uh steels that they they could create their own uh aircraft with that kind of thing uh, and the the follow-up to that is is called critical mass so really really, really. fun thrillers on top of the uh, the yeah I see um
0: I'm pretty not as much of a fiction kind of guy, because I don't like reading fiction, like I have one fiction book lying around, so basically it's India's first sci-fi book, like basically the first writer to write a side-up sci-fi book, which is what I have. This is it, its name is uh, Ripon Rogers. Um. Okay, okay. I'm actually going to maybe try reaching out to the author. Awesome, maybe I don't know. But yeah. Uh. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, this book is great because it also shares. Uh. Like in the context of the story, it really shares. Yeah. uh What's the word I'm trying to say? Kind of. Kind of the. A lot of the philosophy I'm talking about in terms of mm-hmm. the need for global collaboration on this, um. um and kind of the, the importance of each of these elements to to humanity's future. It illustrates it really well. Right. Um, okay. Um, I know this for that. So what I
0: was uh, trying to say was, um, you know, these new composite materials is basically, they are being used in space energy. I'm, uh, probably one of the biggest news that basically playing the question of on structure and, and and you know in a way uh materials engineering is the reason this incident that happened uh in the you know space exploration, exploration incident or whatever our scene gates yep. Very sure. yeah, or yeah whatever yes. the comp- yeah so may, maybe the question being upon that maybe you should you know try focusing uh, more on that but okay so we're almost towards the end, uh. So okay, this is. Do have kids? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. My kids are yeah. thirteen and fifteen.
0: Yeah, uh. So like, if I ask you, what do, you, what would you like advise them in today's day and age of developing techs like AI technology, and uh, aggressive space exploration, uh, for
1: the future? If you had to
0: advise them something.
1: Yeah, yeah. I definitely. Uh, I definitely. I'm taking care of making them aware, <laughs> just, you know, uh, the uh, the launches and the developments that I talk about. Uh, pie work uh, a lot, but you know, to them, of course, that's that's Dad's work. Um, and humorously, i I'm, I'm also uh, connected with Andy Aldrin, Buzz Aldrin's kid, and he gives right. a presentation where he talks about growing up with his dad walking on the moon, and it's like. And all his friends' dads were astronauts too. It was kind of no big deal and all he worried about was with the stack and like trip and fall and embarrass him on national T V. Uh, it's a, it's kind of a funny story. So I think there's some degree to which uh, certainly you can pass these these things on to your kids, but it doesn't mean that they're they're gonna be passionate about it too. Uh, i my youngest early on. You know, I would ask him like, oh, Finn, Finn, do you want to go to space? And He's like, no way, dad, that's dangerous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he doesn't have any interest in that, which I'm like, oh, I guess he understands the science, at least. Um, you know, they're they're much more interested in, uh, you know, my 13 year old's interested in, in uh, game design. My 15 year old's interested in uh, biology and biotech, actually. So they're, you know, they're going to have their, their own path, but I am certain that the space economy is going to affect their job, whatever it is. Um, so. I play a lot of. I like to play a lot of space games. You know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I want them to follow their own path, but I, I definitely want them. You know, like a like a the dad always wants their kids to have the most options, right? And I think we're one part of having. All of your options on the table is understanding
0: what's Not true here in India. I don't think we in the Northern should created that. But, no, I mean, it's a stereotype. But anyways, uh, okay. So, uh, yeah. Could you, like, finalize some resources? Okay, yeah, I have already. You know, you, okay. Every other resource that has been provided for me, there are a lot of links. I'll just link them down into the description of the episode. And finally, uh, I would love to know... Uh, your final messages to the audience.
1: Sure. Yeah. I actually just to back up a step on the resources, I, I definitely want to point out, particularly if there's any educators listening or really any enthusiasts or students that are interested, I do have an online course for teachers. Um, it will begin again, July 11. Um, so probably sounds like about a week after this comes out. Um, so if anybody's interested in that, it's just areas, slash course. Um, right. I also, um, now, have a, a similar astro uh, geology course coming up, although that's face to face, probably less relevant to your your listeners. Uh, the thing that would be relevant is I run a space education summit that's an online, a free online event. We've run three of them in the last two years. We've got another one coming up in November. Um, if you go to the link I gave you here, but spaceeducation.squarespace.com is the direct link. Really, um, but if you go to spaceeducation.events which you feel to get there too with that we've had keynote speakers you've had astronaut panels we've had lots of, of speakers um from space <laughs> psychology um uh, young professionals education of course um trying to think of some of the other strands <laughs> we've had but there's a bunch of the past sessions are online for free <laughs> including the astronaut panels so that out uh, on our YouTube channel Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, I edit a blog for the Human Space Program. I recommend checking out the Human Space Program at humanspaceprogram.org, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, their Medium blog is at uh, medium.com/slash Human Space Program. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of other contributing authors there, but I, I edit that. The last few were were my posts. Um, and for about eighteen months, I was the uh, associate editor on the journal for Space Philosophy, which I highly recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, the quality goes like this a little bit. But the idea of engaging issues of space ethics and governance and sustainability, um, kind of the uh, humanities in space, is <laughs> something yeah. I, get, I get pretty passionate about. And I think it's something we're going to need because we, we need to be asking questions yeah, yeah. like, should, should we engage should and how should we, we do it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. I've seen a few budding space law peepers, whatever, I mean, law people, yep. I don't know what yep. particularly, or, I mean, what I would like to call them, but it's, it's not like as official as, you know, a lawyer on Earth would be in the,
1: uh, well, at least yeah. one space law program, um, mm-hmm. uh, at a, at a university. And certainly I know several space yeah. lawyers, uh, and even space diplomats For, now.
0: Yeah. Because obviously we have a Space Army, Space Force. So, I mean, all of that makes sense because you need to keep care of, of the ethics. But anyways, um, yeah, I would love to know your final feedbacks to our conversation.
1: Yeah, sure. I, I think, you know, uh, I kind of come back to that, uh, especially if a lot of your audience is, is students. You know, to keep your options open to know uh, what's happening in in space right now and keep up on that, but keep up on what's happening, not just in the space industry, but in the growing space economy, um, and preparing yourselves with the skill sets and mindsets you'll need to, Crazy. to address a fast moving, unpredictable world. Yeah. Um, and kind of what that space and humanities note, uh, I, I'm realizing I have a couple of, uh, space ethics books right here. I definitely want to encourage people to, uh, to explore things like that while you're, while you're learning your, your engineering sciences. Um, I there's a lot of, a uh, lot of opportunity there. And if you're passionate about drawing, I hope you'll, you'll pursue that. And I think there is no, uh, no substitute for pursuing your passions uh, and, and, and pursuing excellence in them, because you're going to, you're going to be better at that than anybody. else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, uh, any formal feedback that you'd like to give to me uh behind our conversation.
1: Uh no, I think uh d- definitely a g- great conversation. Um <laughs> and uh, happy we could connect. Happy you'll you'll share it with uh yeah. sweets and others there. And if you shoot me a link when it's ready, I'll uh, I'll share it out too.
0: Yeah. Uh um so but hey, cool. Thank you everyone for listening to the twenty fifth episode. Uh it will be this twenty-fifth. You can edit any of uh, both products. I don't know. <laughs> I rem- I forget it all the time. I forget it every time. It's like so bad. Okay. So 25th, 26th episode of the Wimper podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Maybe you have already left. So yeah, I'll not take much more time. Uh, keep going here. Thank you.